I want to get into the word of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, there is your seated. Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse number 6. As we had mentioned on Thursday night, the Lord has been dealing with us as we have been going through this difficult moment as a church. And God has been speaking to my heart. And, and, he, and I believe that it's, it's an opportune moment to share this word that God has given us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 6 all the way down to verse number 10. And this is how it reads. So we are always confident. Someone say confident. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident. Someone say confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I want to minister with the help of the Lord for a few moments from a very simple subject that we've entitled a confident people. A confident people. In the times that we are living in, it is very easy to lose your confidence. The last 36 months have tried our patience and even perhaps caused us to look at the world around us very differently. It seems like every day something happens in our world to cause us to question where we are and where we are going as a society. We are less trusting and more cautious about everything and possibly even everybody. And I can hardly blame anyone for feeling a bit worried, per se, about the future. Because as we are very well evident here today, no one knows what will happen tomorrow. No one knows what will happen next week, next month, or even next year. As Thomas Paine, the political writer, and philosopher famously remarked in 1776, he said the following, these are the times that try men's souls. Though he was talking about the American Revolution, I believe his words apply to us today in 2023. Where can we go to find the confidence that we need? For some, reality has hit pretty hard. And today, maybe your confidence is about shot. Without a doubt, we all could use a little encouragement right now. And that brings us to our text in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. Two times in this passage, Paul not only states, but reminds the church there in Corinth that although there are different things happening around you, you must remain confident. Because similar to the time that Paul is writing this letter, I believe there's some parallels. That there was so much happening in Corinth. It was a port city. There was so much political upheaval and philosophy and, and things penetrating that society. But in the middle of all that, God was moving in the church at the very same time. There was gifts of the Spirit there was different things that were happening, and yet the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, reminds the church, don't put your eyes on what's happening around you. Remain confident in the Lord. 
That yes, there are going to be some difficulties. And yes, there's going to be some persecution. And yes, some spirits are going to raise up. And yes, a lot can change in a moment. But Paul reminds the church, in spite of what is happening, we remain confident. And I've come to tell you here today that although our world is shaking and although the confidence of many is waning, there is a people that have united here in this place this morning to declare we remain confident, not in ourselves not in who we are but our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ and based on the promises of his word somebody say we are confident so I want us to see how God's word can give us confidence even in these shaky times let me show you how confident people live number one Confident people look forward to heaven. I'll say that again. Confident people look forward to heaven. Look at what Paul says in verses 6 through 8 once again. He says, so we are always confident. What are we always confident about? What are we assured, assured of more than anything? Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. In other words, we're not in heaven yet. If I could just make it a little bit more plain, we haven't made it yet. That's one thing that we can be confident about. We can't be confident in the economy. We can't be confident in the government. We can't be confident in people. But I'll tell you one thing you can be confident in, we're not in heaven yet. It's not over yet. Jesus is not done working in our lives yet. For this, we're always confident. For we walk by faith and not by sight. You're confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and is to be present with the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Where is home for you today? Where is home? Somebody's already looking around what corner you turn into what apartment complex it is. And if you move around enough, the answer to that question will be like a moving target. And that seems like a lot until you realize that the Census Bureau says that the average American moves 11.7 times in their life. Moving around so much has its benefits. Seeing as you see, a lot of new places and meet a lot of new people. But the flip side is that there's a certain rootlessness to life at that point. You see, when you move 11 times, it's hard to know where home is. And there's a point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make in these verses. Very simply, he's saying, our home isn't in this world. Our home is somewhere else. We will never be at home in this world. And the more we say goodbye to so many people that we love, we are always reminded that our world is not, this world is not our home. And the goodbyes of this life are to make us homesick for heaven. In other words, with each passing day, heaven becomes more desirable. Heaven becomes more beautiful. And it's a reminder for us that we are not from this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. But our home is on the other side. Our home awaits us in heaven. So don't get comfortable where you are. Don't get complacent where you are. Somebody said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Some of us will leave here sooner than others. But our eyes are confident to look towards heaven. Someone put it this way. If you sometimes feel out of place without roots, detach for whatever reason, take heart. Because that's how Jesus felt when he walked this earth. It's the same lesson that God was trying to teach his people Israel through Moses in the Old Testament as they wandered through the wilderness. It wasn't because God couldn't take them directly to the promised land. It's that God was trying to remind his people 
And later, to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, he tries to remind us that everything that happened in the Old Testament was an example for us. That's why they lived in tents. And that's why they put stakes in the ground so they could easily remove them and go on to the next site and to the next place because he was trying to tell them, don't get comfortable where you are. There's a place that I'm trying to take you. And that's how you and I must live in this world. Yes, I know we've got work. And yes, I know we've got bills to pay. And yes, I know we're doing our best to give our children a comfortable and safe and, 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 and healthy life. But we must always be reminded that we're not going to stay here. This is it's just fleeting. It's just momentary. Our eyes are looking a little bit higher to a place that God has prepared for us. I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. Some of you very nervously clap right there. I can tell that you're liking it a little too much down here. Because all of us should be excited about going to heaven. But Pastor, what about my car? What about your car? You don't really like it that much anyways. What about my house, pastor? Who's going to take care of my house? Who cares who takes care of you? Can, when I'm gone, you can have my house. When Jesus raptures me out of here, you can have whatever you want because I'll forever be with Jesus. I'm not in love with things. I'm in love with one. His name is Jesus Christ. And I'm not looking forward to some particular date in this world. I'm looking forward to a place called heaven that has gates of pearl and streets of gold. But more than that, I want to see Jesus face to face. Don't get attached to this world. Jesus, the shepherd of your soul, is preparing a permanent home for you in heaven. And he's waiting to see you there. So we've got to state the obvious here that there must be vehicles that get us from this life to the next. And whatever vehicle the Lord decides to use, for me, I'm okay. Because we all got to get to heaven somehow, right? Some of us are believing that we're going to make the rapture. And we, who knows, we may be taken away before the rapture comes. Well, Pastor, you know, I want, I want the Lord to take me when I'm sleeping. Wonderful. That's, that's fantastic. But what if he does it? What if he chooses another vehicle? The vehicle is not what matters. What should matter is our destination. What God uses to take me from this world to the next is not what's important. What is important is my life ready. Have I made my preparations? Have I given my life to Jesus? Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have my sins been washed away? Is my heart pure? Am I ready? That's what matters. And just go ahead and look at somebody quickly and ask them, are you ready? There may be a lack of confidence in them today, but that's why I'm preaching this message because I hope that confidence would rise up in somebody and say, I want to be ready. I want to be ready when my name is called. I want to be ready when my time is up because for however the Lord decides to do it, I just want to be ready. Hear me. If you don't feel at home in this world, that's a good sign because we are pilgrims on our way to a better place. We're marching toward heaven. Soon, we will be at home with the Lord. And so we must look forward to heaven. Our minds and our hearts must be centered on heaven. The second thing that I want us to notice in this story, number two, is that Confident people walk by faith and not by sight. And that's what the Apostle Paul explicitly said there in verse number 7. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. To walk literally means to take a series of small steps in the same direction. 
And walking by faith means something like you keep walking in the right direction. Even when you can't see the final destination. Sometimes walking can be tedious. It can be slow and downright boring. If you've got to get from point A to point B, walking will get you there eventually. All you have to do is start walking and don't stop until you get there. So when the apostle Paul says we don't walk by sight, he means that we don't yet see what God has promised. And it's difficult because we live in a world that bases everything by sight. Bases everything on their five senses. What we hear, what we taste, what we see, what we smell, and what we feel. We judge our life based on those particular things. And that's why many times we get discouraged. Because we're basing our feelings, we're basing the hope for our life on what surrounds us. and What we feel and what we see. And so Paul, as he's trying to share inter eternal principles and get the church to see what God is doing in eternity and not just in the physical. He says we must walk by faith and not by sight. Why does it matter in this particular context? Because what I want you to know is that Paul was trying to tell the church we are not there yet. We haven't arrived yet. We haven't arrived in this world to the ultimate place of spirituality Neither have we arrived to that ultimate destination in heaven. And so we are walking by faith. God has promised me the victory. And even if I don't see it, I'm going to walk my way there. God has promised that he's going to save me completely. Yes, he saved me from my sins, but he's also going to save me from this world. And, and although I don't understand and I know, although I don't see it coming, I'm going to keep on walking. Why? Because we're not there yet. I can't give up. I can't throw in the towel. I can't walk away from this beautiful Christian life. Why? Because I'm not there yet. And so when you're walking by faith, we hang on to that little word yet. We don't see yet all God has promised for us, his children. But we live believing that the yet will come true for us. That's why we pray for those that haven't given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ because they haven't been saved yet. That's why we pray for our families, our loved ones and our friends. Because there is still hope for them. That little word yet there attaches hope to any declaration that you can have. And that's why when I was at a certain event, you've heard me share this before. I remember I was praying for certain people at an altar and a mother came to me and she said, Pastor, could you pray for me? But more importantly, could you pray for my son? I said, sure, let's pray for him. He said, because he's not baptized yet. And I've heard people say that so many times. I've said it so many times. I've heard it so many times. But it was in that moment as I stood at that altar at that particular event, the Holy Ghost enlightened me. The Holy Ghost illuminated me. And the Lord told me, see, that was the most powerful declaration of faith that you are going to hear. Because this mother was saying, yes, her son is not saved. Yes, her son is far from God. Yes, we don't know where he is right now. But she said, he's not saved yet. That little word yet made all the difference because she didn't say he's not baptized. She said he's not baptized yet because to say he's not baptized is a statement of current fact. But to say he's not baptized yet brings God into the picture. 
future. Can I tell you, we're not in heaven yet, but one day we will be. I don't have the victory yet, but one day I will have it. I'm not healed yet, but one day I will have my healing. My family's not saved yet, but one day they will be saved. You've got to attach hope to your declaration. If somebody has a yet in their spirit, could you throw your hands up right now and give God praise? Because although I don't see it, it just hasn't happened yet. Although I don't understand it, it just hasn't happened yet. That's walking by faith. But preacher, it just seems like things aren't happening for me. Just keep walking. Just keep walking even though you don't see it. It's called walking by faith. Even though it looks like things are getting more difficult with every passing day, you just got to keep walking. Just because our loved ones are not saved today doesn't mean that they won't come to Christ tomorrow. Let us pray and believe for those who don't know the Lord. And let us say by faith, they're just not at PFAC yet. They just haven't gone down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ yet. They just haven't come back to church yet. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel because God's not finished you with me yet our words matter so we must declare what we believe God is going to do and then trust him that he will send, someday turn that yet into a glorious reality so we can't give up we are confident people because we walk by faith and not by sight when I walk by faith, that means that I'm walking based on God's promises and not on my feelings. Basing my faith on what God has said, not based on what I can see. I get a hold of the principles of the word of God. and say, you know what? Even though it hasn't happened, God's word says it. God's word declares it, and so it must be true. So our confidence is not on what is around us. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you today to put your confidence in people. I'm not even asking you to put your confidence in me. I'm encouraging you to put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would tend to believe that the majority of folks that are disillusioned and disappointed and discouraged today is because they put their confidence in the wrong places. If you can look back over your life and look at the moments where you were the most discouraged, you were the most disappointed, I promise you it was a misdirected confidence. Put your confidence in that company and it fell out from the bottom. You put your confidence in that person and they turned their back on you. You put your confidence in your money and it got taken away. You put your confidence in a relationship and it didn't pan out the way you thought it would. And so many times the discouragement or the lack of confidence comes from the fact that we put our confidence in the wrong place. And so we're hurt. We're discouraged. We don't want to believe that God has something greater for us because our confidence has been destroyed because we've put it in the wrong place and in the wrong thing. But I've come today to encourage you. It's time to put your faith. It's time to put your trust and time to put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. People will fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. People will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. People will stab you in the back but there's one who we were singing about a moment ago who's perfect who's holy who will never let you down his name is Jesus and let me get to the third thing I do want to spend some time here today confident people want to please Christ look at what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. 
He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Can I tell you that that's our aim and that's our goal, to please the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't get to a place where you live your life to please others because you will continue to live disappointed. Don't live your life seeking the approval of others, seeking the applause of others. I wonder what they think. I wonder what they think about this, or I wonder how they feel about me. If you live that life, your confidence will continue to be shot. But here Paul encourages the church of that day and today that we must live to please him. Why does it matter so much that I live to please Christ? He answers that question in verse number 10. He says, for we must. Paul connects this, the context here of these two verses by saying we live whether we're present in this body or absent going to be before the Lord. Our aim and our goal is to please Christ. To live for him. Why? He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Did you know that the day is coming that you must stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, we like to push it on the preacher. One day, my pastor is going to have to stand before the Lord. Yes, just like you. Well, the pastor has to give an account about the church. Yes, I have to give an account about his house and my house. Just like you've got to give an account about your house. Some of us just have, are going to have a little a few more receipts when we get there to do the accounting. That's all it means, Brother David. There's some of us that are going to be pulling out receipts out of the back of our pocket and our sock and our shoe because there's a few more things that we got to be accountable for. But every single one of us is going to have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. Husband, you got to give an account for your life, for your wife, and for your children and everything in your house that has come through your house and has come out of your house. Sister, you've got to give an account for your life. You've got to give an account for your children and for your home. We all must stand before or the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, we don't like this kind of preaching. I thought the pastor was going to talk about blessings. But I'm here to tell you, it's my responsibility to make sure that when you stand before him, you can say, Jesus, I lived my life for you. Jesus, you were my focus. I lived to please you. Yeah, I made some mistakes and I tripped up along the way, but I'm living for you, Jesus. It's you that I'm after. It's you that I want to please. I want to stand before the Lord Jesus. And that's why I preach the way I do. I don't pull any punches. I don't try to sugarcoat anything. Because I planned to stand before Jesus. Jesus, I did everything I could. I made some friends and some frenemies along the way, Lord. But you know that I preached everything you told me to preach. And I said it the way you gave it to me. And I left nothing out there. That's why I give everything I have. Because I want to make sure that I stand before the Lord Jesus and say, I tried. I tried my best. I gave it my all. I sweated it out. There's blood and there's tears to prove, Jesus, that I did my very best. That's how we ought to live. Look at Jesus' square footage of my home. And that day... It's not going to matter. Look at how much I accomplished. Lord, you should see the certificates on my wall. On that day, it's not going to matter. Look at my 401k and, and look at my retirement and look at all my investments. Those are all great things to have in this life. But in that day, it's not going to matter. Look how many follows I have on social media. Look how many friends I have. 
on that day, today it doesn't really matter, but that's not, it goes without saying, but on that day, it for sure is not going to matter. So guess what? Let's not live for these things. Let's not live for today. Let's live for that day. Ambition is a strange thing. It makes a man get up at 4 a.m. so he can get to work early and provide for his family and reach a little closer every day to his financial goals. It makes a young lady commit to more years of school to get the appropriate training so she could get into her dream job. Ambition drives us to get up early and stay up late. It causes us to work extra jobs if necessary so we can save enough to buy our first home. We push ourselves beyond our normal limits to reach a goal stretching out in front of us. Why do we do that? The reward determines the sacrifice. Those who want to win Olympic gold train for 15 years or more. They give up everything to be the best. But there is also such a thing as a godly ambition. And that's what Paul means when he's talking about pleasing the Lord. It means seeking God's pleasure above our own. It starts with a simple desire to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in his word. And if I truly want to please him, I'll want to spend time with him. Don't tell me you want to please the Lord when you don't even want to spend time with him. Much less spend time with people who like to spend time with him. Well, I just want to please Jesus, Pastor. Doesn't look like it. Because if we're pleasing him, we want to be in his presence. We want to be in his word. And also, we want to be with his people. Why? Because I want to please him. Everything I do and every decision I make, I filter it through. Will the Lord be pleased with this? And is this the will of God for me, my life, and my family? We don't pray like that no more. We say, Pastor, can you pray? Because I want this. If you help me pray, maybe I'll get this. It's better to say, Lord, if this is your will, open this door. If this is going to help me and my family move forward in life, but at the same time draw closer to you, then I want it. Your will to be done, Jesus. Because we live too much by what we want and how it pleases us. But I'm trying to get somebody to change the filter of their life today and walk out of here saying, I want to please Jesus. I don't care who I displease. I don't care who I let down. But I want to please him because one day I've got to give an account of what I have and what he's given me to him. So when I want to please him, I want to spend time with other believers and grow in my faith and service to God. Looking for ways to serve people and minister to the needs of others. Living in such a way to please God no matter who doesn't agree with it. I ask myself every day, does this please the Lord? Does this decision honor God? Now is it just going to give me more money? Now is it going to make me happier or my spouse happier or my kids happier or my family happier no it's just going to make Jesus happier just going to honor God because and this sounds so strange to somebody in this room today because we live to please ourselves but I'm trying to help somebody because this one day will all end and we will stand before Jesus and most of this, if not all of this, that we have in this life won't matter. And so am I living in a way that brings God glory? Oh, that we had a heart like that today. To want to please the master. Because I remind you, we must appear before that great judge. 
Paul wanted to please the Lord. He wanted the church to have that understanding because he knew that one day we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse number 10. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Notice how comprehensive this judgment is. It includes every believer. He says, we must all appear. But pastor, you know, I just, I just drop in here every once in a while. I mean, I don't know if I have to appear. Yeah, you have to appear too. I mean, you're really not like totally my pastor, so do I really have to appear? Yes, you have to appear. We all must appear. We all, so it's a comprehensive judgment. It includes every believer, but also it can't be avoided. It says we must, someone say must. You can't reschedule this appointment. Oops. Not a doctor's appointment that you can reschedule. Not a dentist's appointment that you can make up some other time and fit it into a time where it's better fit in your schedule. You can't avoid this judgment. You will be there. You must appear. And it's a personal judgment. I won't be able to stand with you. But pastor, he saw me there on Thursdays. Come here, pastor. No, no, no. I'm standing for myself. Right now, I can stand for you before his presence. And I do. I pray for you. I ask God to help you. I ask God to take care of you. Right now, I can stand before God for you. But there's going to come a day where I can't. You'll be standing by yourself. But maybe I can stand by my mom because she prays for me. You won't be able to stand by your mom. You'll be standing by yourself. Gotta give account for your life. What did I do? What did I say? How did I live? I must give a, an account for my life. Is this okay to preach this way today? I'm sorry that I'm not getting you too excited, but I'm trying to help somebody because we've got an appointment that we can't cancel. We all have a court date with the Lord. That's one appointment that I promise you, you won't miss. We will stand individually before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will receive what is due for us, for the life that we lived in this body. Notice the phrase, it says good or bad. If you look up that, that, that phrase, good or bad. It will literally, literally mean productive or unproductive. That's what it literally means. In the Greek language, they couldn't always find the best uh, tra uh, translation in particular languages to give the connotation. But if you look up that good and bad phrase, it literally means productive or unproductive. Fruitful or unfruitful. And so when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be like an orchard full of trees. And all Jesus is going to be looking for is fruit. Not how big the tree is, not how green the tree is, not how glamorous the tree looks, but he's going to be inspecting the branches. He's going to be inspecting our lives. Is there fruit? Have you been productive with the gifts and the talents and the resources and abilities that I gave you? Are there any fruit? It's the truth. When we stand before the Lord, we're going to be surprised to discover that much of our life had no eternal value. When we stand before him, we're going to realize a lot of what I was worried about didn't really matter. A lot of the people that I cared about their opinions of me didn't really matter. 
all the things that I was after, all the stuff that I was trying to accomplish didn't really have any eternal value. Hear me today. This is a judgment of quality, not quantity. Won't matter how many years I've been preaching. Won't matter how many years I've been baptized in Jesus' name. It won't matter how many church services I was present in. He's going to be looking for fruit. Were you fruitful with what I gave you? Did you reproduce what I placed in your hands? Did you guard the deposit that I put on the inside of you? Or were you careless? Or were you caught up with the things of this world? It's my desire and my prayer for me and for every one of you that he would stamp us on that day fruitful. That he would stamp us on that day well done. Thou good and faithful and fruitful servant. Does anybody want to be fruitful today? Hear me, I'm almost done. The preacher has no advantage over the elderly saint who is a shut-in. The richest people in heaven will no doubt be the most forgotten people on earth. Not the high and the mighty, but the overlooked widow who never stopped praying. The teenager who shared Jesus with his friends. The single mom who raised all those kids without complaint. The valiant missionary who left the comforts of home for the dangers of another country. The unseen prayer warriors who lifted up God's work. These are the true heroes. These are the real gold medal winners. The one who will win heaven's academy awards. When we stand before the Lord, it will matter. These are the things that will matter. How fruitful have I been with my life? Notice that when we stand before the Lord, we will already be in heaven. So This issue of saved or not is no longer in the picture because you won't be standing there unless you're saved. Okay? The rapture determines who's saved, not the judgment seat of Christ. If you go up, you're saved. If you stay, you're not. That's just theology 101, okay? I wonder if I'll be saved on that day. No, no, you'll still be here. We'll be up there. But you'll be down here eating ice creams. We'll be up there. So the judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine salvation. It determines deeds. It's not a Bible study, but I just want to help somebody. Because if you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, you've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost in heaven. That judgment is God judging the fruit and productivity of your Christian life. I just want to clarify that. It's not in my notes, but I just want to clarify that. It's not going to be, are you saved? It's, it's going to be a matter of, works based on faith. The question the Lord will ask us is, what did you do with what I gave you? Not are you saved. What did you do with what I gave you? He will evaluate your life and mine on how we use the talents, skills, opportunities, and open doors he put in front of us. The questions that Jesus will ask you on that day, and you'll remember this because you'll hear my voice in your head. He'll say, how did you spend the money that I gave you? Did I spend it all on me? Well, it's my money, preacher. I can do whatever thing I, yes, you can, but you got to give an account for it. Somebody said that life is like a cafeteria. You can get whatever you want, but you got to pay for it at the end. How did you spend the money? He's going to ask that I gave you. The other question he's going to ask you is, how did you use the time that I gave you? How did you encourage the people that I put in front of you? Now, we don't need to be afraid of that judgment. No. But neither should we take it for granted either. As I mentioned that judgment's not to base on the 
fact, if you're saved or not, it's based on what reward you're going to get. Because we will all be rewarded. Paul says, for good or for bad. He sheds some more, life on, some more light on this in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. It says, now, if anyone builds on this foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, that day. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, I'm going to get a little theological. I don't like to do this on Sunday mornings. But let me just get a little theological here for a second. The fire he's talking about is not hellfire. He's speaking about a fiery judgment that will burn up all the wood, the hay, and stubble in our life. Theologians say this is the fiery gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a literal smoke fire. It's the fiery gaze of Jesus. That when I stand before him, that fiery gaze is going to hit me. And if it's precious stones and gold and silver, it's going to shine. But if it's not, everything else will burn. We're not talking about hell, okay? We've already crossed that bridge. We're on the other side. But now the fire, because he's saying the day will reveal it. Is that not what he says? The day will reveal it. Who's the bright and morning, who's the bright and morning star? Jesus. Who's the son of righteousness? Jesus. So in the day, the day, judgment day, the fiery gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. is going to peer into that heart of yours and that heart of mine and say, is this really real? Or, this, or was this a phony Christianity? Was this a fake Christianity? Was this a false testimony? Is it wood, hay, or stubble? Or is it gold and silver and precious stones? Each one's work will become clear for the day will require, declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. His vision pierces through the hypocrisy to see the true value of what you've done with your life. He judges the enduring value of a person's life. Would you come and play something softly on the piano? Could somebody lift up their hands just for another moment? I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, it's, it's, it's time for us to get real with the Lord. I know it's a Sunday morning, and, but it's time to get real with the Lord Jesus right now because that day is coming. It's getting sooner and sooner with every passing day. Judgment day is coming. And I want to make sure that when he looks at me, that I've got fruit, that I've been productive, that I've got something to offer the Lord Jesus Christ, that I didn't waste my life on frivolous things, on empty things, on passing things, on things that will rust, things that lose its value, things that are temporary. We must appear before the great judge. We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What I do now determines how I'll spend eternity. What I do now determines what he says on that day. How I live today reveals the reward or lack of on that day. I want my life to matter. I want the decisions that I make to be eternally motivated. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We should all be searching our hearts today. Some should be asking, am I ready? Will I make it on that judgment day? 
Others of us should be asking ourselves, what is he going to say of me when I stand before him on that day? I close. Hear me today. What you do determines, hear me, not where you spend eternity, but how you spend eternity. Rewarded or not rewarded? Again, this judgment is not where you're going to spend eternity. That's being judged right now. But that judgment day will determine how you spend. Will you have rewards to enjoy? Will you be able to enjoy the rewards that you sent on ahead from this life to the next? Or will we enter in with no reward? How are you going to spend eternity? I pray that every single one of us, I'm preaching to myself today, please don't misunderstand my spirit. This word is coming through here. It starts here. I'm preaching to myself and then I'm declaring it what I have to this church. But it's going to determine, are we going to be rewarded? I want to be rewarded. I want to live with heaven in mind. When I look at the world around me, I see many things that might lead to us to give in to despair. We live in strange times. If you're looking for hope, you might not find it on social media. For sure you're not going to find it watching the news. But we can be confident when we focus on an eternal reality that whether we live or whether we die, we will be with the Lord. While we are here, church, let's serve the Lord. Because one day we will stand before him. I'm encouraging you, let's serve Jesus with everything we have. Let's live for Jesus every single day day. Why? Because one day we will be with Jesus forever. And that ought to make you more than enough to make us confident about our future, that we will be with Jesus for all of eternity. Stand with me today.